So I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of 1 John. It's almost at the end of the Bible. If you hit Revelation, just go back a little bit. And we're in 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 13, and we'll be going through the end. It's 1 John 5, 13. Hear the word of the Lord. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we proclaim you, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that by any means we may present them mature and blameless before you. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. There's a lot of we know in this passage. We know. We know. You've been in situations when someone's probably like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know, I know, I know, I know. What is the situation when someone's doing that, right? You're probably reminding someone of something that they're supposed to know. Maybe they've done something that they shouldn't have done. You're like, you're supposed to do this? It's like, I know, I know, I know. Right? Or maybe someone's feeling really down about something and you're trying to remind them of, they're like they're off about what they believe, right? Like it's like, oh, I'm such a screw up. And you're like, that that was just a mistake. It's okay. And it's like, I know, I know, I just I can't get over it. Right? We we say that when there's some sort of dissonance, either in terms of what we should have done and should have known, or what we're experiencing and what should be true, right? We we're kind of like Someone's trying to remind us, to correct us, 
to point us back to what's true, and we're kind of like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, but we say it that way because we don't really f- maybe feel that it's true, right? Something has discorded. Something is dissonant. Something is off. And I think it's some of that situation that I want to bring us to this passage that's full of a bunch of statements that says, we know this. And at least from my experience of reading it, there's a lot of times that I'm like, do we know this? Do I know this? Because sometimes there's a big question mark that comes up. Maybe not factually, but experientially. So let me walk through that. Let me walk through what what I mean here, right? John starts this passage, verse 13, kind of summarizing everything else he's written. He's kind of going through, right? He's saying, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, right? He's not writing to someone he's trying to convince of something. He's not writing to people who don't, have not heard these facts or information before. He's writing to people who already purport to know Jesus, who have already probably been baptized into his name. This is going to include many of you who I think I'm sitting here looking at, like you've already professed to know Jesus. So John is writing to you that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. The word is knowledge, it's understanding, it's fact, that you may be reminded. But that knowledge of eternal life bears out in a few different ways. You can see first, he goes into verse 14, this is the confidence that we have towards him. What? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked for. John is not making a statement of you should know this. He's saying, no, you do know this. You know this. This is true. Period. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And you have what you've asked for. And then he moves on. Right? Let, let me make a note about verses 16 through 18, or 16 through 17. I have a big um, bracket and a question mark in my Bible, right? So you're not the only one who maybe is like, oh, what do I do with that? That could be a whole other sermon, uh, and maybe it will be. We're, we're going to bracket that for right now, Okay. We're not going to talk about sins leading to death and not leading to death at the moment. But anyway, he's capturing it. Whatever he's meaning here about sins that lead to death, sins that don't lead to death, we're capturing it here in verse 18. Right? We know that everyone who has been born of God doesn't keep sinning. But he who was born of God, that is Jesus, the one who has been born of God, protects him, and the evil one, that is Satan, does not touch him. So again, another declarative statement. John is saying, we know that anyone born of God does not keep sinning. Period. Right? You know that. Moving on. Okay? 
we know we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Period. Moving on. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Period. I write all these things to you to remind you, to summarize to you, these are the things that we know to be true. And yet, as I read it, and maybe as you read it, or you hear it, I wonder, there have been times that I kept sinning, or I've seen other people keep sinning. There have been times that I haven't had my prayers answered that I know of. There have been times I feel much more in the world than I do from God. There have been times I've doubted whether the Son of God has come because things seem to be just like they were before. And I wonder if you sometimes experience this dissonance. Well, John does something at the end here that is difficult for us to see in English, but is more obvious in the Greek, right? If you look at verse 20, right, he says, so that we may know him who is true. That know is a different verb. Um, some of you maybe speak other languages. I remember one of you talking about you know German, right? Uh, in German, there's wissen and kennen, right? If you know other languages that I don't know, maybe you also know there's a distinction. There's a distinction between knowing something as a fact and there's a difference between knowing someone intimately. In German, I, I weiss uh, that it's uh, daylight outside. Ich kenne Dawn, right? I know Dawn personally. The Greek word that's used in all the rest of these, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know, is like, oh, I know that. That's a fact. I know that two plus two is four. The Greek word here, that we may know him who is true, is, oh, I, I know him personally. Yeah, I know Matt Peden. It's also the word used in the beginning of Genesis, where Adam says, and Adam knew his wife, and the two were one flesh, and they conceived and they bore a son. You've probably heard that same, it's like to know biblically. Right? We sometimes maybe make a smirk about it, right? To know biblically, right? Means know intimately. That's the word being used here. To know intimately, to know personally, to know face to face, not by fact, but by face. All of these things John is pointing us not to know a fact, but a face. The face of God in Jesus Christ. I love that he actually does that in the beginning of his gospel, too, when he recounts John the Baptist pointing to Jesus when he comes and says, Behold, 
the Lamb of God, right? All these things that I've been proclaiming to you, I've been dunking you in the river for a reason, right? This is the one that I've been talking about. And two disciples go and they follow him. And they encounter Jesus. And they're like, Rabbi, where, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And then Andrew goes and gets Peter. And he's like, we, we've seen the Messiah. And they do, there's a pattern of this. And someone's even like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he's like, come and see. I don't know that answer, but come and see. I don't know that answer. Come and see. There's a pattern here of come and see Jesus. And the point is this. It does matter what we know factually. But it is all the more important about who you know personally. What is the foundation of the things that you know? Because there are going to be times in your life, because of others or because of yourself, that you are going to doubt the facts that you know. And if it's just about head knowledge or doctrine, you do not have a very solid foundation. Because facts and head knowledge will not save you. Only Jesus will save you. And so we have to know Jesus we have to spend time with Jesus. We have to bring our wrestlings to Jesus and let him reconcile the dissonance and the questions and the wonderings that we have in life. <laughs> because then we can be walking and someone's like, it says that we know this, but I, do we know this? It's like, I don't know, come and see. Because Jesus says that it's true. So let's walk with him and have him figure it out for us. So what does that look like? I want to kind of walk back through some of these. We know, verse 20, I'm going to kind of walk backwards here. We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. I love in the second letter of Peter, he talks about there will be scoffers in the last time who say, Things look exactly the same that they were before. I don't see any evidence that the Son of God has come. And I always feel I'm like, I feel that sometimes, right? Am I a scoffer? <laughs> Do we know all manners of academics and professors and scientists, right, want to cast all sorts of, or we think that they want to cast doubt on us, right? There's all sorts challenges from the culture without, from our, our own flesh within, our own doubts. They bring all sorts of things. Like, has really the Son of God come to give us understanding? And we could spend a lot of time watching YouTube videos about debates or reading articles or whatever, and those could be really good. But encountering Jesus as he was through the Word of God in the Gospels, to encounter him and let him be the one to look at you face to face in your doubts. Because you are not the first one to doubt that. You or your neighbors, whoever you might be thinking of here. I love in John, right, Jesus is talking about, I am the bread of heaven, come down. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And do you know what all the people who have been following him say? They're like, this is a hard saying. <laughs> 
Yes, it is. Some of you have grown up in church and you've lost the weirdness of what it is to say, like, ah, oh, nothing but the blood of the lamb. And like, people are like, what? Right? It's weird. It was weird then when they did sacrifices. And people said, this is hard. Who can take this? And they left. We are not the first people to encounter that Jesus' words, the words of Scripture, are difficult. But what does Jesus ask? He comes to the disciples, and he looks them face to face and said, do you want to go away as well? And he'll ask that of you. Yeah, I, I know your doubts. I know your wrestlings. I know the strangeness. I embody the strangeness. Do you want to go his way as well? And like Peter, you can turn and look him in the eye and say, to whom else will I go? I have come to know you, that you have the words of eternal life. So I'm going to stick with you, even if I don't quite understand what you're doing. God came to give understanding, and it's a walk. It takes patience. It takes time. Stick with Jesus. Let us encounter him afresh in his face and let him deal with our own doubting. Verse 19, right? We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I mean, yo, I, I think our flesh can come up with all sorts of criteria to try to work through to determine our status, our identity in life, right? We fit this mold or that mold. We make this checklist we didn't. I'm a failure because I didn't do this, Y, X, Y, and Z, or I must not be a, a good citizen or a good student because I didn't do this or I didn't do that or I did do this or I did do that, right? Who, is, who sets your criteria? If you were to wonder, are, am I really from God? Is this person really from God? You could continue to make a bunch of checklists. But I have a feeling that you will never really measure up. Oh, or you think you'll measure up, and you've left a lot of things off your checklist. Okay? Jesus, when he's talking to the disciples before the priestly prayer that Missy read for us, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might bear fruit. Right? The issue with us trying to spend our time determining whether we're from God is that you don't get to determine whether you're from God any more than you get to determine whom you were born from. God determines whether you get to be from him. If he says, come to me, and then sends you somewhere, you're from God. No matter how mismatched or misfit or disqualified you might seem. If he calls you to him, then you are from him. And so really to reconcile any dissonance that we might have, and this is not to say that there's therefore no correction that needs to be done in your behavior if it's causing you to question whether you're from God. 
But it is to say you need to wrestle with that before Jesus. Not, I just need to get my act together. Like, no, you need to go to Jesus and say, Lord, help me. (laughs) Because if he chose you, then you're his. So we come to Jesus and let him be the one to determine whether we are from God. He'll set that. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Y'all, I've had a hard time with that one because I've done a lot of sinning in my life. And, and I don't mean like kind of like, oh, the ones that we name in church that aren't so taboo, right? Like actual sinner. You all are actual sinners. I am an actual sinner. There are actual sinners in the church that do all manners of things. Murders and abortions and, mur- and, and, and lusts and adulteries and all manners of greed and wickedness and theft. Real sinners. So what do we do when someone we love is caught, it feels, in a pattern of sin? When we ourselves are caught in a pattern of sin? For me, I know, and people I've ministered to, the temptation could be, well, I must never really have been born of God. And I can understand where we could get that. And we could spend a lot of time reading books or talking about certain doctrine to remind you of things that are true. But I think many of us know the experience of being ministered to in a place of need about, no, remember what's true, remember what's true. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. It It takes a lot to sink into that heart, though, doesn't it? You know a more powerful way to be reminded of that? You need to go before Jesus in prayer. The only person who's going to solve that dissonance for you is Jesus. If you are caught in sin and you feel, I keep on sinning. So I must not be born of God. No, sorry, you don't get to determine that. Remember, you go to Jesus and say, what do I do with this? What do you do with this? And you will remember that Jesus, who himself came to proclaim wrath and righteousness against the world that was caught in sin, and said, the kingdom of God is coming, so repent. And when they dragged a woman who was caught in adultery before him, he just got down and drew in the dirt and looked up and said, okay, you who's without sin cast the first stone. And they all left. And he looked at the woman and was like, where are they who have condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, you could spend time accusing Jesus of being inconsistent. Great, the Psalms are full of accusing God of all sorts of things. Go to God and accuse him, okay? And let him sort it out. He came to Peter on the shoreline after we just were in VBS, right? Peter denied him. Denied him three times. And around the same charcoal fire, 
the resurrected Jesus sitting there at breakfast. And Peter must be anxious out of his mind. Like, I just denied Jesus. Is he going to say anything to me about it? And Jesus is just like, do you love me? I'm like, what sort of question is that? Right? Do you love me? That's what I want to know, right? Like, are you going to condemn me? It's like, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus is just like, feed my sheep. He says it again. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And it says, Peter burst out forth out of distress with the same kind of language that it used when he cried when the crow called or the rooster called or whatever it was, right? When he cried, he burst forth, Lord, you know that I love you. Basically saying, why are you not, are you going to condemn me? Are you going to name the fact that I've sinned against you? Are you going to name the fact that I can't be a good disciple because clearly I'm the one that was like gung-ho and committed these sins against you? I denied you. What are you going to do about this? And, P- and Jesus is just like, feed my sheep. You do not get to disqualify yourself. Ironically, Peter is back in the same sea that Jesus called him from fishing. And Jesus is like, who told you to go fishing again? I called you to build my church, but I sinned against you. I know that. Go build my church. You let me take care of that. So often we create an anxiety that's about basically us trying to sort out what's going to happen when Jesus says, I will sort out what is going to happen. And there is an insecurity about that. Was grace that taught my heart to fear. You do not know what he is going to say about your sin necessarily. But grace, my fear, relieved. But you do know about the character of Jesus who has mercy on the sinful and the afflicted. So be patient. And be persistent about coming to Jesus in prayer. And let him deal with your sin. And then lastly, moving back to verses 14 and 15. We have this confidence toward him that anything we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. As I was studying this, I thought maybe this is even harder. Because I think about other ministry I've done and the ministry I've gotten to do among you all. There are prayers that you have prayed, that you have cried, and that you do not feel have been answered. So what do we do about this? Do you just believe harder? Do I just need to tell you this over and over again? So that you just believe harder? Or do we go like Mary and Martha when Jesus was approaching Bethany after Lazarus had died? 
and they go up to him, they know that Jesus is the Messiah, okay? A king. And they say, first thing, that Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They accuse him to his face. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you would have shown up and done what you said you were going to do, I wouldn't be in this mess. And Jesus wept with them. And he said, in essence, friends, you might not understand this now, but this is to show my glory. I'm not going to tie this in a bow for you. But I will raise you up from the dead, and I will show you one day. Y'all, there are a lot of things that we try to comfort ourselves by trying things to be wrapped up in a bow. And God is not going to wrap it into a bow for you. There are going to be things that you pray that you do not feel you have had answered. And I can talk to you about the doctrine of the things that are true, that God does hear us. Because Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us. And he prays for us with groanings deeper than words by his spirit. Yeah, 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 I know. But it had been really nice if he would have healed my child. I can't reconcile that for you in facts. But Jesus can reconcile it. If you come to him, accuse him, lament to him, wonder with him, and he'll ask you to walk with him. And said, I'll show you in time. Walk with me. Come and see. Come and see. We say all these things because, yeah, we can say, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But it's harder to do that. It's harder to push it off. It's harder to keep back the tears when we have to look someone in the face. And friends, we can, through the scriptures, encountering Jesus in the Gospels, encountering Jesus in the Gospels in prayer with one another, We can reckon with the person of Jesus, his character, his face, his disposition, his heart toward us. Ultimately, to know that we have eternal life is to know him who is eternal life. Verse 20, he is the true God and eternal life. This is about proximity, presence, in prayer. We must, we must be a people that just learns to bring ourselves to Jesus first and foremost.
And in that way, he forms us. Not with information, but formation with him, walking with him. And so I know that maybe brings a lot of questions. Maybe we want something really tangible to hold on to. I don't have something really tangible for you to hold on to. I proclaim to you Jesus Christ who said that he would meet with each and every one of you by his spirit. Wrestle with him as his people have always wrestled with him. And let him be the one that you know. We're about to celebrate this table. where we come together to know God personally. The one who gave his life, his body, his blood, that he might be in us and we are in him. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, to know you is to know eternal life. To whom else shall we go? Move our hearts and our minds, our hands and our mouths to be in prayer to you. Bring us alongside one another to seek your face in prayer and invite us to be with you. For while knowledge puffs up, Love builds up, Lord. And your knowledge of us is a love that you would have returned to you. So may we know you now by the power of your spirit and by faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.